Second book of Kings, chapter 5, from verse 1. He says nervously. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded, because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you, so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him to say to him, Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand out and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abama and Farfa, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, David, and uh, apologies for the confusion of the reading. It's uh, great to be with you this morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Mark. I'm part of the team here at St. Michael's. And today, we are going to continue our series looking at the major characters in the Bible. Uh, and today, we're looking at Naaman, Naaman the Syrian. So I just at the outset want to say that this story is wrong. It's just wrong on so many levels. I don't know if any of you were caught out by our first hymn 
this morning. Uh, I'm used to the, the school children's version of that hymn and the words were very unfamiliar to me this morning. And with this story, we should be equally caught out. We're expecting something and we get something entirely different. Previously in Two Kings, we've been reading about Elisha and Elisha has, in a series of stories, helped on the one hand a destitute widow. Uh, she was a widow of a respected prophet, a prophet of Israel. Um, a, he has helped out a rich but generous Israelite woman who was barren and childless. When that woman had a child, uh, the child later died and he restores that child back to life. And then, in a miracle, he feeds a hundred of Israel's prophets with a few loaves of bread. All well and good. These are the kind of miracles, these are the kind of people that we expect the Lord to bless. And then, we read in verse 1 here, the commander of the king of Aram, the conqueror of Israel, the enemy. If we were in a pantomime right now, we would be beginning to boo and hiss and to shout, behind you, behind you, because onto the stage has walked the enemy. It seems that Israel was in some kind of truce with Aram at, at this time. And so there was some amount of peace communication going on. But by the very next chapter in the book of two kings, we see that they're at war again. And possibly this man, Naaman, was leading the armies of Aram again. This is so wrong. This is so wrong. And what's more, he's a pagan. He's got no time for God in his life. And if that weren't enough, he's successful, self-sufficient. He has got loads of money. It's hard to put a modern day estimate on the amount of money that we're talking about, but the amount of money he takes to Israel is enormous, enormous. And he is well connected. He is the opposite of the destitute widow of Israel. So surely he must be disliked by all. Um, sadly, no, he's, he's a nice guy. He's a nice guy. Um, if any of you are in the corporate world, you will have uh, probably done what we call 360 degree appraisals. If anybody ever done any of that? Uh, it's an, it's an appraisal process whereby you get feedback from those above you, those beneath you, and those around you. And it's designed to give a, a, a honest and complete view of the person. Well, this guy is respected by his master. He's highly regarded by those around him. And listen to the words of the slave girl. This is a slave girl who has been captured, ripped away from her family, taken to a foreign country, made into a slave, works in his household. And she says, if only my master. Hear the love in those words for this pagan enemy. We like this guy. 
Jesus liked this guy. And he says, you know, a little bit like, you remember when he meets the rich young man? He says to him, Jesus looked at him and he loved him. It's, we so commonly think that Jesus only loves the poor and the destitute. But this is the only place in the New Testament where Jesus, it says Jesus loved one of those he was ministering to. And Naaman is like that. So Jesus talks about Naaman in Luke 4.27. And there were many in Israel with, with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet, yet none of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. Jesus likes this guy. But when the people in the synagogue heard him say that, they were furious. In fact, it says they drove him out of town and tried to throw him off a cliff. What's going on? This is a story that's 3,000 years old. It was almost 1,000 years later that Jesus recounts this story and they want to throw him off a cliff. So I've thought today, what would cause all of you to rise up and seek to throw me off a cliff? Um, well, maybe if I'm still here in 45 minutes talking, maybe that might be sufficient. <laughs> but you know, it's not likely to be a story that's a thousand years old. How about if I said, oh, you know that William the Conqueror, he wasn't so bad, you know. I got away with it, okay. Okay, let's try another one. What about the 10th century Viking king of Northumbria, Eric Bloodaxe? He was just a little misunderstood and he lacked a few social graces. Good, I don't see you rising up and throwing me out. A thousand year old story that causes consternation. And why? Why does this story cause so much upset? It's an ancient story, but it, oh, how very up to date it is. It's a story from an ancient culture, but it speaks so strongly to our postmodern culture. And it's a story set in the Near East, but oh, how Belgravia, how Belgravia this story is. We get upset not because of what it says about Naaman, but what it says about us. Because for the religious, the, those religious Jews in Jesus' day, it hits at the heart of their self-righteousness and their assumptions about God. It hits at the heart of our self-righteousness and our assumptions about God. For the irreligious, it makes a nonsense of the philosophy of their age. And the spirit of our age is, nobody tells me what to think. I'm my own person. I'm a self-made person. I'm a self-sufficient person. I don't need anybody to instruct and judge me. I'm in control. If I've got any concerns, like Naaman, I'm well-placed to afford to pay. Pay for the best doctors, the best psychologist, a personal trainer. Uh, any problems, I'll take some time off and discover myself. I'll check into a uh, spa. Uh, if things are really bad, I might go to the Priory. What we enjoy in 
Belgravia is a designer life. Many of us have a designer life. And so did Naaman. But before we even get to the end of verse 1, there is a but in this story. When the Bible says but, we sit up and take notice. And this is the but. But he had leprosy. And leprosy speaks of sin and obviously death. But what is the but in your life? It might be the death of a loved one, uh, end of a, tra a tragic end of a relationship. It might be that something internal to you. It might be anxiety, res rest, uh, resentfulness, or unforgiveness, or an addiction, um, financial disaster, or maybe like Naaman, it's a terminal illness, a genetic flaw. You know, we can strive for our designer lifestyle. We can strive for our Belgravia lifestyle. But however successful, however powerful, however well-connected we are, we will all, either now or at some point, have a but in our life. And when we discover it, or when it comes, we will need a prophet to cure us. And the cure looks like this. We must realize that self-sufficiency is an illusion. That the world cannot help us. That we must humble ourselves and we need to get a new skin. Okay, let's get started. Self-sufficiency is an illusion. Naaman is a great man a valiant soldier, if there was you know, more than anyone, Naaman has earned his position and his reputation and his wealth. Is that right? No. Because even in verse 1, we read this. Because through him, the Lord had given victory to Aram. And right away we're saying, what? The Lord had given victory to his enemy through this man. Now, if that's not shocking enough, that's not the point I want to make. But it is that even in his position, with his hard-won uh, work on the battlefield, it was because God was helping him. He is a pagan and God helps him. Is that you? You might think that your uh, success is because you're smart, because of your good looks, because of your education. But where do those things come from? They didn't come from you. Or it may be because of your philosophy. But if, you, if any of you read the recent book by Tom Holland, Dominion, Tom Holland in that book looking at the foundations of Western thought, looking at human rights, freedom of belief, even secularism, he shows how all of those ideas come from Christianity. So even if you're a pagan, even if you're far from God, 
Your success is not because of your self-sufficiency. Number two, the world cannot help you. Uh, he has connections. He's clearly uh, in, in tight with the king of Aram. He's got loads of money and uh, even the most modest estimate says that he takes about 15 million pounds with him to make this one journey to Israel. I normally allow about 100 pounds a day spending money when I go on, on holiday, so he's slightly over-provisioned in my mind. He's got power. Oh, has he got power. But he hears that there's a prophet in Israel, and so where does he go? Naturally, for a man like him, he goes straight to the top, to the king of Israel. And that's what we do. We go to the top. We go to the best doctor, the best shrink, the best professor. And when he gets there, the king of Israel, who knows so much more, tears his robes. You're kidding. He says, who do you think I am? Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of leprosy? What is the king saying? He's saying, the world can't help you. This is God's stuff. I can't help you. This is God's stuff. The world cannot help you. We have to humble ourselves and obey the word. Verse 9, so Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Effectively, he sits up on his horse, or he stays on his chariot and says, tell me what to do, O prophet, I can fix this. And I, Elisha, verse 10 says, sends out a messenger to him to say, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. Elisha doesn't even come out of the house to him. He just snubs him. A very deliberate snub. So Naaman, it says, went away angry and said, I said, surely I thought he would come out to me. And then secondly, he says, just wash? You're kidding me. Any low life can go and just wash? I'm Naaman. I expect to do great exploits. I'm Indiana Jones. I, give me the, the golden head of Belloc from the Temple of Doom or the headpiece of the staff of Ra from Tunis. Some great exploit to earn my healing. And so he turns and goes off not only angry, but in a rage, it says. So I've already said, Jesus doesn't like, doesn't dislike rich people, capable people. He loves them. But he is sorrowful for them because they struggle, we struggle to recognize our need. And to come to God, all you need is need. All you need is need. Those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, says Matthew, they will be filled. But for Naaman, this is too easy. It's too easy. 
Fortunately, his servants with him are wise and diplomatic, and you know, perhaps they've been talking to the little slave girl in the servants' quarters back home. And uh, she, perhaps she's told them the routine. Um, you know, you need to humble yourself. I remember when I first became a Christian, I, um, or rather I was looking at Christianity, I went, had to go to a, a small Pentecostal church in a dirt poor mining town up in the Northeast where the people were uncool and it was drab and really um, it was quite a shock. But I knew that these people had something. And when the, the late Queen's funeral was taking place, you'll remember that we had to queue for hours, many hours, half a day probably, to get to go and see the lying in state. And many celebrities took to that queue. I remember David Beckham being in that queue. Because if you want to be in the presence of the real king, you have to do what the ordinary people do. You have to have, your only need is to have need. Anyway, so I've spoken a lot about what the irreligious people, how they might react to Naaman. And now I just want to quickly talk about the religious people, my final point. We need to get a new skin. And perhaps, Jack, if we could have the, uh, the overhead up now. If you've spent any time in the past three decades riding the subway in New York, you will know who Dr. Z is because these advertisements appear, it feels like, on nearly every subway train in New York. I was very sad to hear that he passed away a few years ago. So I guess these advertisements don't appear anymore. But anybody riding the subway in New York for the last three decades would know if you have spots, if you have a blemish, if you have a skin problem, Dr. Z was your man. Uh, I don't know why New Yorkers react to the, positively to these adverts, because to me he looks like a snake oil salesman, if ever I saw one. <laughs> but anyway, everybody knew. You got a spot, you got a blemish, you got a patch. Dr. Z is your man. Naaman goes to the prophet and he gets angry because he says, I want to be healed. I thought surely he would come out to me, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. When he is healed, it says his flesh was restored and it became like that of a young boy. Eat your heart out, Dr. Z. It, his flesh was restored, became like that of a young boy. Not just the spot. He was completely made new. His whole skin is made new. Like a young boy. What does that speak of? He has been born again entirely. If you are religious, why are you coming to church? Is it because you've got a spot in your life? Get yourself fixed so your children grow up right. Maybe to get healed, to improve your social standing, or to get your children into a Christian school. 
meet the right type of boy or girl future partner? Is it because you've got just that one spot in your life that you can't fix? Maybe it's your temper or your anxiety, a wayward child. But you know what this, what Naaman shows us is, we might think we've got just one spot, but you can't possibly know what's wrong with you. If you've got good friends, they might be honest and tell you some of the things that they think are wrong with you. But only God can see to the heart of us. God is not Dr. Z. He's not interested in fixing a few pimples. He wants to remake you entirely. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Galatians tells us to get a new skin. It says, for all who have been baptized in Christ have clothed themselves with Christ. We need to put on a new covering. God wants all of you, nothing less. He wants to be the king of your life. The very next verse that follows our reading is this, verse 15. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God and he stands now face to face with the man of God, humbled, standing, looking at him eye to eye and he says, now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. If we want to be remade, we want to be changed in our entirety. We need to recognize our own self-sufficiency is an illusion. That the world cannot help us. That we need to humble ourselves and to get a new skin. Now that's not the whole of Naaman's story. That's practically just verse one. And it's certainly not the whole of the gospel. So do keep coming along. Do keep coming along to hear about this amazing man, Jesus, and his ability to transform our lives in their entirety. Let's pray.